So our first reading is Luke chapter 22 from verse 13. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Our next reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 23. The page is 1153. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. This is the word of the Lord.
Claire, thank you very much for reading to us. Uh, you might like to keep a thumb in either or both of those readings. Uh, for those of you who've been here over the last couple of weeks, uh, as we've been in this, this short little mini-series, thinking about these two signs that Jesus has given his church, uh, baptism and communion, uh, we'll be looking at various uh, verses from different parts of the Bible. Those are the two I wanted us to start with today. Uh, we've thought about baptism. We're thinking today about communion. There'll be some pictures which will appear on the screen. Uh, Communion reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus and the relationship that we have with Jesus because of the actions of Jesus on the cross that we remember. It causes us, therefore, uh, to look back and to look forward and to look up, as well as seeing ourselves and one another in a different light. And it all happens in this sharing of bread and wine. Uh, we're used to doing things to, to mark particular events and to remember things that have happened, aren't we? Uh, you might think of laying a wreath on the 11th of November. Or you might think of a minute silence at a football match before kickoff in memory of someone who has died. Uh, more positively, you might think of a, a particular cake baked for a birthday or another celebration. Or a, a way in which you, you cook Christmas dinner as a tradition and celebrate it together. But what we do when we come to the Lord's table combines both of these things. It is both solemn and also joyful. It's about remembering the dead and also celebrating the life that we have been given. So first of all, uh, we're going to think about looking back and how the Lord's Supper points us to the cross. Uh, for the Old Testament people of God, in the time before Jesus, of course, the great annual act of remembrance was the Passover feast. Some of you will be familiar with that. Uh, the time when the Lord rescued his people from slavery in Egypt under Moses. A lamb for each household. A meal shared together. The blood painted on the doorpost. If you remember the story, you can read about it in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, the Lord says there, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come, and you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Well, it's no accident that when Jesus now sits down in Luke 22 with his disciples for one final meal, Luke makes it clear to us in verse 13, it's a Passover meal. Actually, that's the third time he's stressed that it's a Passover meal in about five or six verses. So he wants us to get the point. We need to understand, Jesus wants us to understand, that he is about to sacrifice himself for his friends and for us. He is the Passover lamb. His blood is going to be shed not just for everyone in a household, but for the whole world and everyone who will believe in him. And so when he takes the bread in verse 19, he says those famous words to his disciples. This is my body given for you. Now we have heard those words a hundred times, haven't we? A thousand times. So many times. that It's so easy to hear them and not even to bat an eyelid. It's worth remembering what a shock this would have been. That was not the usual Passover script that Jesus was reading from. And then in the next verse, he takes the cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. See, the Passover was the festival of the old covenant under Moses. But now God's eternal covenant is being sealed in Jesus' blood. My blood, he says, which is poured out for you. 
Because time and again in the Bible, blood is used not only to seal an agreement, a covenant, but also it's needed to atone for sin, to make right what is wrong, to make forgiveness possible. And we see it in the Passover itself. We see it in all those sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, the Day of Atonement. And all of those examples are pointing to this one, pointing to Jesus, as John the Baptist calls him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus' work, and he gives thanks because he has done it. Uh, One of the communion prayers we sometimes use says this, it is our duty and our joy to give you thanks and praise, for he, as Jesus, is our great high priest who has loosed us from our sin. It's done, finished, sorted. We look back with thanks. This is my body, he says. This is my blood. And then, of course, the other thing he adds is, do this in remembrance of me. And so we come to the table, don't we? Jesus has given us not just some words to remember, but something to do, something something physical and tangible, something memorable, this family meal, this act of remembrance. The Supper of the Lord Um, Article 28 of the Church of England's Articles of Religion says, the Supper of the Lord is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death. And so, before we come to the table every week, uh, when we're invited to draw near with faith to receive the body and the blood of Christ, uh, that's not a comment on something magical that happens. It's better than that. It's a reminder of what Jesus has already done done. And so the next words in the service say, eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you. And feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Well that brings us to the second dimension of communion, which is looking up. The Lord's Supper lifts our eyes to Jesus. I don't know about you, it's so easy if you're anything like me at this time of year, January, to go through life looking down. Is that you? You Hood up, brace against the wind, just getting to wherever it is you want to get to without pausing to see that actually even in January there is beauty and there is goodness in the world if we can only spot it. Some of you may not agree with that, I know. There are some real January dislikers here in the congregation this morning. But even if you hate January, I want to say communion causes us to lift our eyes to Christ where he is today. Where is Jesus? I had a friend, actually, who, believe it or not, his PhD was on the subject of where is Jesus now? I mean, I always thought it sounded a bit like where's Wally, a Christian version of where's Wally. Sorry, that's very flippant. But where is Jesus today? He is seated on the throne of heaven. He's at the Father's right hand, reigning over all things. We do look back to his sacrifice, but communion also reminds us Jesus is not on the cross anymore. It's finished. One of the great themes of the New Testament is that as his people, we've been united with Christ by his death and resurrection. We belong to him and we are counted as his. Colossians 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Ephesians 2, God made us alive with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. It often doesn't feel like that, does it? Maybe especially in January, on a cold January Wednesday morning when 
the school run's going badly or you're late for work or you just don't want to get out of bed. When those things are happening, my grasp on the truth that I have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus can feel a little bit slippery. I don't know about you. And so we come to communion because one of the things it does, again, is lift our eyes to Jesus and to that reality again. See, the Lord's Supper is much more than just some kind of glorified visual end. It really does something. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit who does something as we gather together and we share this meal that Jesus gave us. I know some Christians get nervous about the idea that something really happens when we share the bread and wine. Uh, Usually because I think that they can be fearful. Good Protestants feel fearful that this is some kind of Catholic idea that the bread and wine are somehow transubstantiated into Jesus' body and blood. If you don't know what that means, then great. Um, If you're worrying about it, you don't need to. Um, Because that's not it. Again, the relevant bit of what the Church of England says in Article 28 uh, is is blunt and helpful. Um, First of all, it says transubstantiation, that idea that the bread and wine literally become the body and blood of Christ. It says it's repugnant to the plain words of Scripture. They knew how to be blunt in the the Reformation, didn't they? But it also says the body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper only after a heavenly and spiritual manner. And the means by which the body of Christ is received is faith. It's not that somehow Christ is brought down from heaven onto the table, so much as that as we gather and share this bread and wine together, we are lifted up spiritually by the work of the Holy Spirit to meet with Christ where he is, reigning over all things. For the Christian, as one person put it, eating is believing. That's also, just by the way, why the bit of furniture that we use at the front of church is a table and not an altar. I know some people think I've got to be in my bonnet about these things. Does it matter what we call it? In many ways, perhaps not. As long as we're clear what we're doing as we gather around it, Because an altar is a place where a sacrifice is made, isn't it? Um, Often made of stone. You know, you might think of the stone table in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, and the sacrifice of Aslan. A table is where a family meet to share a meal together. In this case, it's a meal to remember an altar where a sacrifice was made, the altar of the cross. You see, it's a different religion, isn't it? If we need an altar to make a sacrifice when we gather on Sunday morning, What we are in effect saying is that the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross was somehow not enough. We can't have it both ways. But as the Book of Common Prayer communion service puts it, he made there on the cross a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice, oblation and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Thomas Cranmer knew how to lay it on thick when he needed to, didn't he? And so we praise the Lord. We come to this table to feed on Christ. Yes, that's what's happening. And yes, at the same time, the bread is still bread and the wine is still wine as our eyes are lifted to him in glory and we are once again reminded of the status that we have. We look up. Um, Thirdly, communion is about looking in. The Lord's Supper reminds us of who we are in Christ. The focus of the Lord's table is always Jesus. Uh, It's his meal. We're the guests. But like any party that we go to as guests, we're kind of forced to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, you've probably asked this question many times before all kinds of different parties, am I ready to go to this party? What am I going to wear? 
Am I smart enough? Am I too formal? Does my bum look big in this? You know, should I wear my hair up or down? That's a question I'm never going to have to ask myself. What do I need to do to be ready to attend this party? Um, our second reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, says a bit to us about this. There's it, plenty there to give us pause, isn't there? Those quite serious warnings about coming to the Lord's table. Verse 27, Paul writes, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Maybe warnings like that have made you think twice about joining in with communion. It's really important that we understand what God is saying here and what he is not saying. It's not that if you've been a sinner this week, then you shouldn't be coming to the Lord's table. If that were the case, none of us could come. Now, it's a warning about eating without faith that Christ has done enough to deal with your sin. There's also a warning in there about eating while disregarding the people who he has called us to be a part of. The next verse says, Everyone therefore ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's not an examination just to check you know, what you've done that's good this week and what you've done that's bad and to see if, you, see if the good outweighs the bad. That is not what we are to do. No, it's to ensure that we come trusting in Christ, not ourselves, humbly, depending on his forgiveness through his death on the cross. That's one of the reasons why there is always a, a prayer of confession before we come to the table. We've said one together this morning. Um, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Uh, and again, uh, although the words from 1 Corinthians 11 that I was just reading, and again, um, in the Church of England's articles, it says this, the supper of the Lord is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death, to such that rightly, worthily, and by faith receive the same. The bread is a partaking in the body of Christ. It's a reminder that we shouldn't take it lightly, but all we need to receive it is faith in Jesus. So come to the table once again today. Come with faith. Maybe you feel that it's weak faith. That's okay. Maybe you have questions or doubts. We all do. It's not about how strong your faith is. It's about who your faith is in, whether it's in Jesus. And all who repent and believe in him, as marked by baptism, as we've said, are welcome, as long as we are looking to him for our life and hope. Fourthly, communion gets us to look out or to look around. It's a reminder that we belong to a people. You can do that for yourself just now if you'd like to. Just glance around the church building this morning. This is the body of Christ in this place. Uh, those familiar words from the New Testament, that as Christ's people, we're part of one body. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, which we read some of last week, has that extended metaphor about this that, that Paul explains. We're part of one body, and Christ is our head. And we have to be careful not to get too carried away with all the specifics. I heard about one preacher who did this. He started off quite well by, by saying something like, well, those of you who are, who are gifted in practical tasks in the church, maybe you're the hands. Okay, fair enough. Um, those who are, are given gifts of, of teaching, uh, or maybe you're the mouth. But he then carried on. He said, um, and some of you are the tonsils. To be honest, we'd be better off without you. And still others of you are the appendix. 
Uh, we didn't even realize you were there until you started becoming a pain. And we still don't know what you're there for. All right, that's being silly. Um, of course it is. But this, this corporateness, this being part of a body, is a really important idea in the Bible. Um, it's very easy, isn't it, for any of us to, to begin to think in terms of my needs and my wants. There's the tendency somewhere within all of us, isn't there, to some self-centeredness. The fourth thing that the Lord's Supper does for us is remind us to look around and that Jesus has called us not just to be believing individuals, but part of a people, a family. And the clue is in the word, isn't it? Communion. Some people call it the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. You can call it whatever you like. But it's not just that we come to meet Jesus around his table. It's that we come to meet one another and we share in this together as we break bread. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ, we say. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. And this meal is the ultimate expression of something which is a whole church activity. Um, again, we haven't got time to go into all the details, but I think this is the reason why in 1 Corinthians 11, which we just heard read a moment ago, uh, Paul goes to such lengths about how the church members should behave when they meet together. It seems from what he writes there that they were sharing this, this whole meal. Some of them had plenty. Some of them didn't have very much. Those who had a lot were not sharing with those who were without. To the point that Paul says in verse 20, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. They were eating with selfishness and with no sense that they were part of something bigger. Uh, we were thinking a couple of weeks ago about how baptism is the sacrament through which we become part of Jesus' family. Uh, and then the Lord's Supper is the family meal that we share together. So we look back, we look up, we look in, and we look around at communion. Last of all, perhaps best of all, the Lord's Supper causes us to look forwards. It is a foretaste of eternity. Uh, one of the main images of heaven in the Bible, as you may well know, is the image of a wedding specifically of a wedding banquet. In, in Revelation chapter 19, the angel says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, we've already seen, haven't we, that Jesus is the Passover Lamb, the one who gave his body and blood for the sins of the world. By the time we meet him in Revelation, he's the Lamb on the throne. That's where he is now. Uh, his wedding at the end of time is going to be better than the best wedding you've ever been to. In fact, every earthly wedding you've attended is there to point to the wedding of Jesus to his bride. He is the groom. His bride is the church. So we're not just invited. We're getting married. That is the picture that we are given. And our communion service not only looks back at what he's done to make this possible, but it looks forward to this great banquet to come. As Jesus said, uh, at the Last Supper in our first reading, for I tell you, I will not eat the Passover again. I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So, when we come to the table in a few minutes' time, we come with anticipation and we come with hope. Uh, I've noticed uh, over the years how churches uh, quite often, usually I think, tend to play quite solemn music as we come to communion. In lots of ways, that is the right thing to do, isn't it? Because we are remembering. Uh, we're remembering the cost, his body and his blood. It's not wrong to do that. But it's not the whole story, is it, either? Uh, and somehow, as we look forward to the greatest party ever thrown, 
I suggest we should be coming to communion in a way which is both really serious and really joyful, because it is both of those things. And as we share it together, we're reminded that we look forward with confidence to the coming of God's kingdom. And so in communion, we have this encouragement that we need not fear life and whatever it may throw at us. And indeed, we need not fear death. Uh, We don't have to fear death. It's still painful. It's still our enemy. Many of us know that only too well. But communion also says to us, death has been defeated. The lamb wins. We know what Jesus has in store and we're invited. And so in a moment we're going to come to that table again, this place of reassurance and welcome and hope for every believer baptised into the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray.